Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. Today, Pastor Monty Bird continues with his sermon series on the Book of Romans. And now, Pastor Bird. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, please. Father, as we open up your word this morning, please speak to us to your wonderful, steadfast truth. I pray, Lord, that through the indwelling of the Spirit, that you would change us, that you would empower us to live the life that you gave your Son so that we might have life. In Jesus' name, amen. Our focal passage this morning is still in Romans chapter 15 as we work through the chapter, and it's in, found in verses 20 through 21. However, I want to put this in context of the previous verses that we were studying in verses 17, starting in 17, and we'll read through 21. And this is what Paul wrote. He said, Therefore I have reason to glory in Jesus Christ and the things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and roundabout to Illyricum I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he has not announced, they shall see. And those who have not heard shall understand. What is Paul's ministry? He states it here in our focal passage of 20 to 21, that he would preach Christ where Christ had not been named. If Paul were a Texan, he would say he didn't want to plow on anybody else's ground. Paul was stating his mission in his ministry. And I'd like to point out several things before we get into the application for our lives today. First, I would like to say that Christ told us that Gentiles would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, because that's what Paul's discussing here in the 15th chapter, is that he has a special ministry to the Gentiles where Christ had not been named. And when you look at Matthew chapter 8, in Paul's conversation with the centurion regarding the healing of his servant. In Matthew 8, verse 10, it reads, When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out in outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way as you have believed. So let it be done for you. And his servant was healed the same hour. So in the healing of the servant, Jesus is telling us that Gentiles 
when he references that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, he's telling us that Gentiles would come to a saving faith. And secondly, when you look at Matthew chapter 28 with Christ giving the great commission, look at what he says in verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age." So Christ is telling us, just as it states in Revelation, that people will come to a saving knowledge from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And in fact, I have to say as a believer and follower of Christ, that I get great affirmation looking back upon history in actually witnessing this taking place from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Ever since then, Gentiles have come to a saving faith. And so when we look at our focal passage, and you look at the words of Paul in verse 21, where he says back in Romans 15, but as it is written, and then you have it in quotation in your Bible, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. What Paul is quoting here is Old Testament prophecy regarding the Messiah. It's in the 52nd chapter of Isaiah. So look with me in the 52nd chapter of Isaiah. We're going to look at a few more verses instead of just the verse that Paul is quoting here, 52:15. Let's go to verse 13. And here Isaiah, centuries before the appearance of Jesus Christ, said this about the Messiah. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man. In his form, more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations, kings shall shut their mouths at him, for what had not been told them they shall see, and what they had not heard they shall consider. Here in Isaiah, in Old Testament prophecy regarding the Messiah, he is telling us that the Messiah will bring Gentiles to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's summarize what we've looked at so far. First of all, in the Old Testament, in reference to Isaiah, we could use a lot of other verses, but in the Old Testament, there was prophecy concerning Gentile conversion. It's there in the Old Testament that Gentiles would come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, we saw in the conversation with the centurion that Jesus told us that Gentiles would come to a saving knowledge. As I pointed out last week, the Lord told Ananias that Paul would be a chosen vessel 
in preaching to the Gentile people. And lastly, in our focal verse today, we see Paul is glorying in the power of God in his ministry as he presents the gospel to the Gentile passage. As he states in our focal verse in verse 20, And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. Sometimes when we read that in the Bible, we just kind of read those words and we don't give it a lot of thought. You just kind of skim the surface. Oh, the Gentile people. But from the Jewish perspective, this is huge. This is absolutely huge. When you put yourself in the shoes of a Jew at that given time, and you look out at the Gentile people, they're absolutely godless. We were godless. And in fact... You can see this in the words of James at the Jerusalem Council in the 15th chapter of Acts. Turn with me and let's look at what James says. And it sheds some light on what the Gentiles were known for. In Acts 15 verse 18, James says, Known to God from eternity are all his works. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God. The Jerusalem Council is deciding how Gentile converts should be treated. So in verse 19, he goes, Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. In other words, the Gentiles were pagans. They were sensual. And it just takes a brief study of history to recognize how bad and how godless the Gentile people were. And within that context of Paul saying that he has this special ministry to preach to the Gentiles, where Jesus had not been named, where God had not been named, I want to spend the balance of our time looking at how we can apply this to our lives. Because what you see here in the words of Paul is he said, I am preaching to the unlikely convert. I am preaching to the unlikely convert. It wasn't logical that Gentiles should embrace Jehovah God. Now from a foundational perspective, let me remind you of what we had read earlier in the Great Commission. We have been given a commission And it wasn't a commission given to professional ministers. It's been given to all of us in Matthew 28. 
For Christ said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even until the end of the age. This is our commission. The church's commission is for you and I to share our faith to a lost and dying world. And as people turn to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, we are to bring them in the church and we are to equip them with biblical doctrine and knowledge so that they may grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is our commission. This is our purpose. It was commanded to us by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So when Paul says, I have a ministry and it is to preach where Christ has not been named... What he's saying is, is that I am living out my life, fulfilling the great commission in the calling in which God has called me to do. That's his ministry. I am preaching, paraphrasing the words of Paul, I am preaching to the unlikely convert. Secondly, Paul was an unlikely convert. You have an unlikely convert preaching to an unlikely audience. And in fact, when you go to Acts 9, immediately after Paul's conversion, starting in verse 20, it says immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. And then look at verse 21. Then all who heard were amazed. And said, is this not he who destroyed those who called on his name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Skip down to verse 26. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. Paul was such an unlikely convert that they were all afraid of him. That's what God does. That's what God does. God saves the unlikely convert. He saves people out of their sin in a remarkable and dramatic fashion. It reminds me of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh... Not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world 
to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence but of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God in righteousness, in sanctification, in redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. You know, when you think about Paul writing these words, and you think about his dramatic conversion, his unlikely conversion, his illogical conversion, and then here in 1 Corinthians, he's saying, God doesn't call the wise. It, to me, points to what we need to do in our modern times in our evangelistic efforts. So many times we can be guilty of being a screener for God. In other words, we, in our own mind, are making a decision on who we need to share our faith with. This person looks like they might accept Jesus Christ. In fact, and I've been guilty of this in my own words, oh, these people are lovely, they've got everything going for them, they just need Jesus Christ. Christ said that he didn't come to save those that are healthy. He came to save those who need a physician. We do not need to be guilty of determining who might be receptive to the Lord. I've told my own personal story of being guilty of this with my first roommate at Baylor. In fact, we parted in such bad company, and I thought, there's going to be a special hot spot for this fellow. He was anti-Christian. He was horrible. I thought, why in the world did you even come to a Christian university? From the moment he got there, all he did was gripe about the rules. We had pretty strenuous rules at that particular time at Baylor. You couldn't be in the girls' dorm. You couldn't dance. You couldn't do this. You couldn't do that. And all he did was come to the university and just gripe about all of the rules. And I thought, did you not know the rules before you came? So I, unfortunately, just disregarded him. Until two years later, he came to me at church and said, I have come to a saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then I witnessed God working in his life. He was an unlikely convert. Now, the reason why I think this is so very important to us in today's time is that we are living in a world where one can feel like we are truly aliens. The Bible says that we're aliens, that we're strangers, that we're pilgrims, that we're sojourners that we're not going to fit in. 
And that's the world that you and I are living in. And quite frankly, I think that we would all agree that it is getting more and more difficult for us to find people that have a commonality in belief, that have the same worldview, that looks at life in how you are to raise your family, how you are to perform at work, how you're to conduct yourself among other people. That's becoming rare to have somebody to go, hey, they believe the same way I do. People are different. We are living in a different world. And that's only going to get worse. The Bible says that it is going to get worse. Now, we've got some options on that. We could say that we're going to make people moral. We're going to make people moral. And in fact, there's been times in church history where the church has gotten off track and they said, we are going to demand that everyone be moral. And in fact, if you think about it, there are people out there that do not profess the Lord Jesus Christ, but they will attempt some effort at a standard of morality. It's not a saving faith, but they think that society would be better if there was just a certain level of morality, and the church will try to force people into that certain level of morality. You know, you just need to stop doing this Do this, do this, don't do that, don't do that. And this is what we're going to cause society to do. We've tried that. We've tried that in history. It doesn't work. We could force people to attend church. The Brits did that. Brits did that for a long time. They kept records. You had to go to church. And so people were forced to go to church. Somebody said this, and Kathy passed this on, and I liked it. They didn't believe in Christianity. They believed in churchianity. And you could find yourself in that trap. That I believe in churchianity. And you could force people here. And think that people would somehow stumble into Christianity. And we're going to force people to start looking like us, acting like us, having our same worldview. So you could try it with morals. You could try it with the institution of the church. There's a lot of different ways in where you could say, I am going to attempt to make society better or to make society look like the rest of us. All those will and have ended in failure, in futility. We are not told to pre-screen people that we share the gospel to 
And it reminds me of how Paul opened up his letter in the first chapter of Romans. Verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For everyone. For the Jew first and also for the Greek For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Paul was an unlikely convert. In fact, he was going to Damascus to persecute the Christians. And he encountered the Lord Jesus Christ. And the power of God, the power of God transformed his life. The way people change is not through societal norms. Those are long gone. The societal norms that you and I grew up with are long gone. The only way people change is through the presentation of the gospel. A verse that's not in your outline this morning, but I was thinking about it as I was getting ready for my sermon. And I thought, this goes so well, I thought I would throw it in. It's Jesus's conversation with Nicodemus. And if you look at John chapter 3. Starting in verse 5, in, in Christ is answering Nicodemus about how can a man be born again. And look at the words of Christ in verse 5. He says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. And here's my point in verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes. And you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. In other words, there is not a worldly logic to it. Praise God. That in spite of ourselves, Christ saved us. And we need to keep that in mind as we witness to other people. It's not for us to determine, oh, this person looks like they're ready to hear the gospel. There's a great chance that that person would say, I don't need that. I don't need that. It's the people that are in a horrible spot in life, especially as adults, that tend to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. If you look at the percentages of who accepts the gospel once they get to be an adult, that percentage drops tremendously. And then you look at those people, that small group who accept the Lord Jesus Christ as an adult. It tends to be when people are at the end of their rope. They've either gone through a divorce or they have marital stress. They have financial stress. They have the loss of a loved one. They're crying out. They've tried everything. They're living a life of despair. They've lived a life of debauchery and they found that they can't get satisfaction through a life of sin. 
and you look at those people and say, let me tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ. They are an unlikely convert. I remember when I was in high school, we had someone who came to our church. I'll never forget, he walked the aisle. And he came down during the altar call and he gave his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he had a really dangerous and violent background within a notorious motorcycle game. And he looked like it. And he came down and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. By the time I went to college, you'd have never known that that was his prior life. He acted different. He had a different view of life. That's not human effort. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to recognize that it's not our job to get people to church. It's our job to profess the power of Jesus Christ. If people embrace Christ, they will come to church. If people embrace Christ, they will come to church. They will want to congregate among fellow believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what people do. But we spend too much time talking about church and not enough time talking about Christ. Christ is the answer. And we need to present Jesus Christ. Now you may say, well, how in the world do I do that? I'm not equipped. I don't feel ready. As I've said before, if you look at what Paul did, he shared his personal encounter with Christ. Bible verses help, and you need to have Bible verses. And I'd encourage you to memorize some Bible verses. But you don't need anything to share what Christ is doing in your life. In fact, that is a sign that you have a healthy relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because what I found is, is the healthier the relationship that you have with the Lord Jesus Christ, it just becomes natural. If you're encountering Christ every day, as you're seeking the will of Christ in your life, as you're reading the Word every day, as you are communing in prayer every day, it's just easy to talk about Jesus. Because you're encountering Him every day through Bible reading and prayer. So it becomes natural for you. If I gave you the four spiritual laws in a track, which is a great track, by the way, but if I gave you the four spiritual laws and I said, you got to go out right now within two hours of leaving here, you need to share your faith with someone. And I've done that. I've used tracks. I grew up in the era where you use tracks to share your faith. And they keep the purpose of the track is to keep you on track. And so they're effective because it says, you know, I'm saying this or that, and here's the verse. And, and you can do that. But I would say that the more your walk becomes consistent with the Lord Jesus Christ, talking about the Lord becomes natural. And as I've shared before, We talk about everything underneath the sun with our friends and family. 
right? You go to a good restaurant, what do you do? I just had the best meal. We take a picture of it. You send it to a friend. This is where I ate. You ought to try it. Look at the meal. It looks wonderful, doesn't it? We do that with a movie. I just got out of a movie. I just streamed a show. It's such a great show. You ought to do this. We don't think about that, do we? It's just natural. It's part of living. We do it with tradespeople that we hire. We, we do it with every aspect of our life. As we say, this is what I'm going through right now. And you ought to try this because it's good too. We should do that about Jesus. The savor of our soul. It's where we look at friends and family that do not know Him, that are destined to hell, and say, this is the person that can forgive you of every single thing that you've ever done, and you will have a life that you've never encountered before. You will have a peace that surpasses all understanding if you accept the Lord Jesus Christ. That needs to be an easy conversation. And the deeper you walk with him, the easier it's going to be. And you will be surprised at who looks at you and says, I want that. I want that. But if the church is silent, we're not being used. We're not fulfilling our commission. And we will not be surprised with joy. When people come and say, I want the Lord Jesus Christ. Join me in prayer, please. Our Father, we just thank you for the example that you gave us in the life of Paul. And I pray, Lord, that we would be convicted to share our faith. I pray, Lord, that you would give us a boldness to where we can boldly share the joy and the peace and the forgiveness that we've experienced through the power of the cross. I pray, Lord, that we would do that within our community, among our friends and our family, and that people would come to a saving knowledge. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. If you wish to hear more, you may find him at millcreekchurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com slash millcreekchurch. Prayer requests may also be left at millcreekchurch.org. Our church services are as follows. Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m., For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, millcreekchurch.org.